This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets followed a distress signal to the small planet of Brinthia, which didn't turn out to be a planet at all, but rather a giant maze puzzle that was hiding all of the exile's money. When Leo brilliantly solved the puzzle with a little help from the Norb's power, the cadets found the stash of treasure. And now for episode 11, Goro.
Sorting all of the exile's money proved to be no small task. Each of the cadets took shifts, following Goro's instructions and loading each planet's treasures into its own escape pod. The jewels, coins, crystal cubes, and dollar bills filled the pill-shaped pods that were the length of a small car. Once the stolen treasure was loaded into the capsule, the door was sealed shut and the planet's coordinates were entered into the automated navigation system. Doug imagined the surprise of the people from each world stepping outside to see a pod land in the middle of their city full of all their stolen riches. A celebration worthy of a holiday would surely follow. As for the exiles, their reaction would likely be much different. If all the trouble the cadets had caused them up to this point wasn't enough to drive them ballistic, this would surely do the trick. Having just finished with his shift, Doug watched the last of the pods zip off into space from a train car window. Like white torpedoes, they glided smoothly through space dust and into a pink nebula, guided by a bright blue flame. It was beautiful. Looking out any of the windows of the space train always brought something new and amazing. Sights astronauts back home would be jealous of. Doug turned his attention to the caboose door. It was a long walk to get to it, longer than he remembered, but he figured it would be good exercise and he wanted to see it again. He reflected on their failed attempt at breaking into it and tried to figure out where they went wrong. As captain, he felt that any failure was his fault, whether the idea was his or not. He thought about Brinthia and about how it was Leo's genius that had saved them, not his. If the boy could talk, he would have no doubt been chosen to be captain. Or better yet, Lydia would have had the position. After all, she wanted it more than him, and she was more level-headed. Her decisions always felt more calculated and thought out. Doug felt like he was constantly flying by the seat of his pants, always making snap decisions that got them into trouble. Trouble like that insane tentacled creature from the caboose that nearly made lunch out of them. What would his parents think if they knew he was flying around space on a hovering train with a giant octopus monster? I told you it was dangerous, came a voice behind him. Doug turned to see Goro walking into the train car. You knew? Doug asked, surprised. Goro chuckled. You'll find there is very little I don't find out about, especially when it happens on my train. Goro could see the look of shame on Doug's face. Oh, don't beat yourself up about it. I should have known that talking up the danger of the caboose would only fuel your curiosity. All that matters is that you're all safe. I could have gotten us killed. Doug said, shaking his head. Goro's golden mustache frowned. How do you think I feel every time I send you cadets out on a mission, hmm? But you don't feel. You're a robot. Goro's eyes lit up. Is that what you think? That I'm just some heartless computer with a mouth and a really terrible sense of humor? Doug shrugged. Goro tilted his head, slightly offended. Let's go for a walk, shall we? With his metal arms folded behind him, he strolled back down through the train cars with Doug by his side. As they walked through the glow-in-the-dark mini-golf car, the movie theater car, and the invention room, Goro chose his words carefully. Every good captain feels inadequate sometimes, 
If you didn't, it would mean you weren't humble enough for the task. And I need a humble leader who can be taught. The universe could use more humility in its leaders, people who can adapt to failure and learn from it. That's what separates the greats from the forgottens. And you, Douglas Colt, are one of the greats. You weren't made captain because of your ability to build almost anything with your mind. You were made captain because of your strong desire to do good. Doug raised an eyebrow. You sure it wasn't because I can build things? Well, I did think it would be nice to get a new gym car. The old one's falling apart and smells like an armpit. They shared a laugh as they continued into the next car. Goro stopped them in front of a wide rectangular window and pointed out into the glittering starscape. You see that group of stars right there? Doug looked to where Goro pointed at what appeared to be a bright group of stars clustered close together. Yeah? It almost looks like a bowl of fireflies, doesn't it? It's called a star cluster. They're tight groups of hundreds or thousands of stars bound together by gravity. To most worlds out there, you cadets are a cluster of stars shining brightly, a focal point of light in the darkness. Your goodness, Captain, is what keeps this group together. The pull of your good is what drives the others, is what motivates them. Of course, each of them have plenty of good to contribute themselves. They wouldn't have been chosen otherwise. But it is your example that inspires them. Doug looked at the ground and smiled a little. Thanks, Goro. I needed that. You're quite welcome, Captain. They continued their walk into the train rec room where they found Dallas, Leo, and Lydia playing a game of dodgeball. This is totally unfair, Lydia said, dodging a whizzing ball thrown by Dallas. She was standing on one side of the basketball court while the boys stood on the other. Leo awkwardly tossed a ball that barely made it halfway across the court before rolling to Lydia's feet. He threw it like he was delicately tossing rice at a wedding. Next to him, Dallas wound up for another throw. Sorry, Lydia. Boys against girls. Is the dodgeball standard? Lydia barely dodged his throw that thundered off the wall behind her. I'm outnumbered! Dallas rolled his eyes. Oh, please. Leo barely counts. He's only made two throws beyond half court. Leo scowled and tossed a weak throw at Dallas. The ball gently bounced off his head, barely even messing up his hair. Dallas looked around jokingly. Did the AC just kick on? I think I felt a breeze. While he was distracted, Lydia threw a ball that ricocheted off Leo's shoulder and hit Dallas hard in the face, making his head whip back. Oh man, my nose! He whined. Lydia grinned and held her chin high. Girl wins. Good game, cadets, Goro said, making a weird clanking noise as he clapped his geared hands together. Circle around. There's something I wish to discuss. The cadets came together at center court, and Goro had them all take a seat in front of him. It has come to my attention that you may all believe that I'm nothing more than a blabbing computer with no feelings. A dodgeball suddenly bounced off his metal face. Everyone looked at Dallas. What? I wanted to see if he'd feel it. I did not feel it, Dallas. Thank you. Physical touch or impact has been muted by my sensors for my own good. 
But while I don't feel dodgeballs that are so rudely launched at my head, I do feel emotions. Like love? Lydia asked. Like love, Goro acknowledged. Doug thought for a moment. If he could feel things like a human, then maybe... He remembered the projection of a plump, mustached teacher in one of the classrooms back at the academy. The same teacher who had a huge portrait as master of class in the Great Hall. You were a person once, weren't you? He finally said. The group went quiet. That is correct, Captain, Goro said slowly. But I still very much like to consider myself a person. I mean, a human, Doug clarified. I saw images of a human teacher that looked just like you back at the academy. Were you a professor there? Goro stared down at him in surprise. The cadets could tell he wasn't quite prepared to explain so much. Well, I... I was, yes. I suppose it wouldn't hurt to hear the whole story now, would it? Well... Many years ago, I was privileged enough to become the youngest professor in the Academy's history. I don't tell you that to boast, but rather to explain how young and naive I was. I made many mistakes in my time at the A.W., but having attended the school myself as a youth, I felt it a great honor to give back to the future wanderers in a way that would last. I was known to be ambitious with my teaching techniques and research, most of which were not looked upon favorably by my fellow professors. Yes, the research I was doing was exciting and groundbreaking, but it was also very dangerous. In fact, many of my findings had to be hidden in the darkest, most secret parts of the academy, not just from the students, but even from fellow teachers and school staff. No one could be trusted with the knowledge. The records you had us retrieve from the library, Doug said quietly. Goro nodded. Among others, yes. Most were technologies that could be used to accomplish magnificent things, things that could save worlds from their greatest suffering, such as lack of food, treacherous climate, hostile infestations, etc. But in the wrong hands, such technologies can be used for much more destructive and wicked purposes. To my surprise, the research gained me universal acclaim from those privileged enough to have access to it. The recognition and fame ultimately got me the position of master of class, or head of the school. I felt incredibly honored to achieve the title, especially at such a young age. I guess you could say it was too much too soon, and it went straight to my head. I became cocky and more careless with my findings, not hiding them as well as I should, part of me hoping they'd be discovered by the masses so I could gain further fame. There was one project I was especially excited about, a drilling technology that used sound waves to quickly extract water from the ground for drought-afflicted planets. Of course, in my arrogant absent-mindedness, I mentioned the breakthrough to some of my fellow professors. One professor had always taken a special interest in my work. My latest findings were no exception. He was the oldest of the professors and went by the name of Doctor, wishing only to be called by his educational title. None of us knew his real name. He wouldn't tell us, even in private. 
We assumed he was just obsessed with his status, overlooking the obvious fact that his background was a mystery to us. Doctor wanted to know more about my research. He was secretly jealous of my success and quick rise to power, and felt he deserved the title of Master of Class. I can only assume that he wished to get his hands on my findings so he could publish them and take all the credit, raising his status out of obscurity. Without any of us noticing, Doctor recruited a handful of students to look for the documents on my sound wave drill. But when he realized he wouldn't be able to find them, Doctor resorted to bribing me, offering me money in exchange for a share of the glory. Of course, I didn't accept, and I fired him from the school immediately. At that point, I thought my problems were over. But unfortunately, I never discovered who the bad students were, and Doctor secretly continued to use them to do his bidding. During that time, I had an extraordinary student in one of my classes. Her name was Modiva. She was beyond brilliant, and her abilities gave me great hope for the future of the Wanderers. I always pushed for all my students to succeed, but with Modiva, I pushed extra hard. I saw something special in her, an unnatural thirst for knowledge. She grew tremendously in her studies, specializing in planetary cultures and technologies. When it came time for her to write her final paper, she brought up her desire to research the drought epidemic and how to fix it. She asked if there was any advice or readings I could provide to help her. She said she wanted to not only write a paper, but to put into practice what she found to save worlds. Her cause was noble, and I was moved by her selfless ambition. So I showed her the secret plans for the Soundwave drill, among others I thought she'd find useful. Days later, at the deadline, no final paper was turned in, and Modiva was not in her usual seat. Using the Academy's camera system, I was able to locate her. She was in the lower corridors deep in the rock, meeting with a small group of students, copying my documents with scanning devices. Without hesitation, I stormed in on them, and in a burst of anger and hurt from her betrayal, I expelled all of them. They were banished from the Academy, effective immediately. <sighs> well, Modiva and the small group of students ran off with their chief conspirator, Doctor, and gave themselves a name, the Exiles. As punishment for letting the students and ex-professor get away with such valuable information, the administration demoted me. They stripped me of my Master of Class title and made me an entry-level professor. As humiliating as it was, it was the documents I was most worried about. Such technology in the hands of reckless students and an even more reckless ex-professor could prove catastrophic. To make matters worse, I was soon after diagnosed with a rare cancer. At first, I didn't tell anyone. I hoped nobody would notice that I was slowly withering away. It was difficult, knowing that I'd be dead by the end of the year. But a small group of students from my class approached me. These were students who had become my friends, bright pupils, and very gifted. They said they could tell something was wrong, that I wasn't myself. I finally told them about my cancer and that it would regretfully be my last year teaching them. They wouldn't have it. 
They insisted I fight the sickness with whatever research I'd done over the years. It was an interesting suggestion. I'd never studied illness, so it had never crossed my mind. But it became clear to me that some of the greatest cures for disease come from other fields of study. So after digging through some of my old files, I came across one of my earliest projects, one where I discovered how to absorb and hold the energy from the sun into a crystal. Modiva and her love for crystals had actually inspired the work. As I reviewed my findings, I realized that such a transfer of energy wasn't limited to the sun's rays, but also the energy of life. With the help of these good-hearted students, I transferred my life energy, my soul, into one of the crystals which I later called a conscious crystal. The mineral is extremely rare, and the procedure was incredibly dangerous. But somehow, it worked. My intelligence, my life energy, was transferred into the android form you see today. Goro turned and unlatched a door in the back of his round metal head. When he opened it, the cadets saw a glowing clear crystal standing upright inside. The cadets stared at it in shock. Once they'd gotten a good look, Goro closed the little door and turned back to them. Any questions? There was a long pause. A very, very long pause. So, there's a big glowing rock in your head. That's right. That is why I can still feel things. What happened to the class of exiles? Lydia asked. Good question. Not long after my transfer into this body, the exiles attacked the school using weapons made from my sound wave drilling technology. The sound waves blasted through the school like a blowtorch to cheese as they looked desperately for the rest of my hidden research. Miraculously, no more was found. All they made off with were the stolen details provided by Modiva. In the end, many students were hurt. Too many, and the school was dissolved. The exiles, along with their leader, Doctor, went galaxy to galaxy using my research for their own personal gain. The cadets thought for a moment. Clay Bogan's clay molding, Lydia whispered. Goro nodded. Leo motioned something shrinking in his hand, reenacting Jojo in his shrink ray. Goro nodded again. The Turbo Twins and their double helicopter, Doug added. Again, Goro nodded. You have a rock in your head, Dallas repeated. They all shot him a look. What? It's still freaking me out. Goro's metal mustache drooped. You see, all of it, the exiles, the pain they have caused, the downfall of the Academy, everything was my fault. He looked at Doug. Yes, I feel, and I know exactly what it's like to feel responsible for every mistake. Doug had to look away to hide his wet eyes. He knew the words were directed at him. He had no idea what Goro had gone through. Goro continued. I imagine that's what many parents feel like when their children make mistakes. They feel responsible in one way or another, but I've learned that... Dwelling on such feelings can only set you back 
and prevents you from doing good. Dwelling on failure brings inaction, and not acting keeps you from doing the good you were meant to do. We all make mistakes, and I, Professor Figaro Finnegan, failed master of class, have to believe that no matter how great the consequences of my actions are, there is a reason for all of this. That despite the seemingly impossible task of defeating evil, a greater good may come from it. The good students that helped me live on became my own team of wanderers, and together we built the space train, which has continued to help us accomplish many good things throughout the universe. When they retired, you were chosen to take their place. Think of the worlds you've already saved, the things you've learned, the gifts you've rediscovered. I choose to focus on the good, and I hope you will too. Dallas gaped at him. Your name is Figaro Finnegan? Liddy and Doug looked at him. Seriously? Oh, come on! That was a crazy reveal! Dallas defended. Suddenly, an alarm sounded in the rec room, and the scoreboard turned into a screen, displaying a video feed of an approaching ship. A message below the image blinked onto the screen. It read, Approaching vessel. Message, disengage the space train's engines and surrender or die. The image was hard to make out. The ship was still a ways off. But from what Doug could tell, it looked like a giant metal boot. They all looked to Goro. What is that? Lydia asked, growing nervous. Goro's screen mouth frowned as he stared at the screen. Modiva, he said. Goro is one interesting dude. Being able to store your life, your soul, into a crystal would be pretty cool. It would essentially mean you could live forever. Although, I'm not sure I'd want to be a robot. But if I were a robot, I'd have big tractor wheels instead of legs. And I'd have this DQ Blizzard machine that could pop out of my chest at my command and give me a... Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Blizzard whenever I wanted. What kind of robot would you be? It's an interesting thought. Goro mentioned star clusters in this episode. A star cluster is a group of stars with a common origin that are bound or held close together by gravity. There are a couple types of star clusters. A globular cluster and an open cluster. Globular star clusters consist of thousands, even a million, very old stars, and they are tightly bound. They're held close together. Open star clusters are just as they sound. They're younger stars that are loosely grouped, and they usually only consist of a few hundred stars. And by young stars, we're talking, oh, just tens of millions of years old instead of billions. (laughs) No biggie. And you thought your great-grandma Helga was old. 
Well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Space Train, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. I want to thank you all so much for listening, for tuning in every week. And please leave me feedback by writing a quick review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. And more than anything, spread the word. Tell your friends and family about these stories that you're enjoying as a family. I love hearing that the adults are enjoying them as much as the kids. That's exactly what I'm hoping for. So thank you all for your support. We'll see you next Monday. This is your host, Greg Webb.